Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan on this series on voting with purpose. This is part three, so if you have not listened to part one and part two, go back and listen to that. Part one is more of an overview of just my voting experience since I've been able to vote and typically what I've uh, seen failures in the past of how I would discern things. So that it's helpful to have some guiding principles on how to discern uh, prudential matters like opinions versus what is intrinsically evil and the things that are on the table. The second episode, we got into that one topic that literally can consumes everything that we face as a country and as the epicenter and beginning of uh, all of those things that we uh, desire within our country to value each human person. And we get into statistics and I try to break down some barriers of how I used to be pro-choice. It's not a religious issue. It's not a one-issue voter uh, it topic. And then we get into some more statistics on why it is so critical that right here in America, laws change that will form our consciousness as a country and our soul as a country and transform the world as well. And then in this part three, this is going to be uh, by far the most graphic of these series into this topic of abortion. But um, so if there's, uh, you know, not mature ears or children around, press pause, stop this right now. And we're going to uh, and listen to it another time, because in this topic specifically, we're going to actually talk about how life is formed in the womb from the moment of, conce- of conception. They're going to be talking about what abortion actually is and how it's actually done through every single stage within the uh Uh, of the pregnancy, first through third trimester, all the way up until birth, because these are facts that actually happen. And so, um, and it's happening every single day within our country. And so we need to form our consciousness as tough as it may be. um, We cannot hide the facts of what is going on. So that's what part three is going to cover today. So Again, it's going to be graphic material. And then in the next episode after this, we're in part four, we're going to have, we're going to be talking about the the three parties that are primarily involved in the abortion industry. And we're going to be talking about how it impacts women and how uh, underlying it, it was uh, actually beginning and rooted in racism and eugenics to form a superior race and to get rid of an inferior race so they don't uh, populate the earth anymore. And still today, even if people are working in the abortion industry, not saying that they are racist, but it is still having uh, the same principles that are underlying uh, what racism is. And it still is one of the largest systematic racist organizations and um, industries that we face as a country. And then in the end of that part four, We're going to go into actually the current party's positions, Democrat, Republican, Biden, and Trump, just to be claiming the facts. And we're going to say a little prayer for every single person that is involved within that. So that'll be part four. And then lastly, part five, we'll end off with talking about each of the arguments that pro-choice, pro-abortion industry will uh, um, claim. And so did I when I was pro-choice. We're going to be going through all of those arguments in part five. So again, this is part three and uh, God bless you. Thank you so much for listening and I am praying for you all. So let's quickly go through the development of a baby in the womb. And I'm only going to go for through the first three months and I'm going to leave links and videos that are pretty incredible because this is a, the gift of life is, is absolutely a miracle. So at the very beginning, at the very moment of conception, when uh, fertilization happens, the single fertilized cell begins to rapidly divide. And at this point in time, it's called a zygote. So at this point, 
physical attributes are determined, including gender, hair color, and eye color. And then after, uh, right after that, between seven to 10 days from fertilization, implantation usually occurs. So uh, as we see, before even implantation happens, this is a third separate entity with a separate unique DNA that will never exist again. And it remains that DNA throughout this entire human being's life that already has gender, hair color, and eye color. And then the amniotic sac, the umbilical cord, and yolk sac are already beginning to form. In month two, weeks five through eight, the baby's heart, neural tube, arms and legs, liver, and other major organs begin to form. The baby's heart begins beating and is visible via ultrasound. The, this is We're talking between four and eight weeks. The placenta also begins to form, as well as the eyes, ears, mouth, and bones. In the second month, the baby's fingers and toes become present, however, they're still webbed. The brain and cranial nerves will also begin to form this month. In the second month, baby's sex organs begin to become visible. And then in month three, so weeks nine through 12, uh, you can see the arms and legs of the baby moving if you were to have an ultrasound. And the development of the heart and all the other organs is actually complete by the end of this third month. That quick, within 12 weeks, uh, baby's heart and all the organs are complete. Baby's sex organs continue to develop, but it's still too difficult to differentiate the gender. The baby's muscles and trunk, limbs, and head are developing. And at this point, the baby's face is actually well-formed. And this is literally just the first three months. A lot of people, some people don't even know that they're pregnant these first three months. And an entire identifiable human being has already been formed. And what does this show? This shows us a few things that... At the moment of conception, it is a human being that exists and is developing. We're constantly developing our entire lives. So a four-year-old is more developed than a one-year-old. A 15-year-old is more developed than, a, than that four-year-old. And I'm more developed than I was when I was 21. <laughs> so we're constantly developing. So one, never let anybody tell you that it's not a human being just because uh, at the very first like one or two weeks, which by the way, a lot of people think it's tissue for a long time and it's just randomly there. And then it just randomly comes into a human being. No, from the moment of conception, it's a unique DNA of another human being that will never exist again. And it's developing just as we are as human beings. So never let anybody tell you that it's that it's not a human being. It's just a piece of tissue because that is just not scientifically correct at all. From the moment of conception, it's a brand new uh, third entity that is that is developing. So uh, we should never harm anybody who's developing at the age of one or two or four or 21 or 29. And we shouldn't harm anybody who is developing at the moment of conception because it's the same person that's just at a different stage in its life. And then the, another, another thing that this points out is a lot of people want to get into, okay, they acknowledge like, yes, it's a human being at the moment of conception. I get that. But, and we won't get too much into this today, but people will say, yes, science proves that it's a human being at conception but the human isn't a person. So the, it, it's a human, but it's not a person yet. It doesn't have rights. But every single time that people will try to define what a person is, they will begin attributing certain characteristics of experiences rather than the inherent essence of a human being. Like people will say when, it, when its heart starts beating, when it can breathe, when it can think. But all those, those things, we actually, we actually have people who uh, have those things going on here and uh, that are, you know, post being born and nobody would rationalize killing them. But so each one of those arguments against their personhood, even when they acknowledge that they're a human, each one falls short because again, just applying those same exact principles to born human beings, people would be outraged at the thought of murdering someone because they are in a coma, needs help from a ventilator or is dependent on care from other people. Um, and the list goes on. 
So that, that argument is that someone has failed to be a person. But we are all failed persons because we all don't behave or have the qualities in our fallen nature that our human nature should have. So we are all failed persons in a sense, but to be a failed person is to be a person first. So the human being is always a person and always has rights. And when you try to attribute things to it, principles begin to fall apart. Um, And you can essentially say that anytime uh, uh, the person is, if you try to detach the personhood from the humanity of the person, then each person can subjectively say, this is when the person is, is a person then. And now we have people all the way saying the person, the human being is not a life with rights until it, after it's born and its mom takes it home. Isn't that crazy? A person in politics have said before that the mom still has the right to kill their child after pregnancy, but before they take it home, because then that's that's when it's a person and that's when it's a life. And there are other arguments, such as arguments from emotion, so um, that try to prove that they're not they're not people. So, for example. there's there's somebody proposing like an argument of like let's say there's a burning building down and you have your child who's like five years old in that building and then there's like two thousand fertilized eggs in a petri dish, so who do you save? And you say yes, I'm gonna save I'm gonna go save my child and they're gonna see ah so you save your child is actually showing that you don't actually think that the other two thousand uh, um, embryos are or fertilized eggs are actually human but that does not follow because let's make those children those same 2000 fertilized eggs children at this all at the same age of the our child of 5 years old so i would go and save my child first because yes emotional attachment but i also have a direct responsibility to that life but i would also try to save others but i wouldn't kill them directly it's just like what is your intent if you, if two people are drowning, you try to you might try to actually get one and help the other, but the other one might might die. But you don't go and by and save the other by putting your hand and uh, over the other child and making them drown. So what is your intent? And then two, this does not show that they're not persons. Just like I would save my five year old child amongst the other five year old kids, I'm not saying that they're not persons. I'm just emotionally attached and I have a direct responsibility to them, right? Now that we kind of established that at the moment of conception, there is a human being that is developing and it develops extremely fast and even is recognizable as a little tiny baby at the very first few weeks of the pregnancy, let's actually talk about what abortion is. Because, um, Many people, including uh, recently, I even heard like Bill Nye, the science guy, he was trying to give an argument uh, for abortion and why it's someone's right to choose. But then even at the end of a lot of arguments, he wasn't even dialoguing with anybody else. It was just himself talking about all these like scientific things. And then he goes at the end, look, nobody likes abortion, okay? And that's what a lot of people say. They're like at the end of all of what they're trying to rationalize, they say, look, nobody likes abortion, Okay. But why? Why don't people like it? Because it's murder, which is illegal and should be because it violates a human being's most basic right, which is the right to even have life. Nobody should violate that. A lot of people will say, my body, my choice, or women's rights are human rights, or abortion is health care. Health care is to care, improve, strengthen life, but this is actually murdering and taking a life, and it's actually risking and harms the life of the mother as well, and the destruction of an entire family. Bodily autonomy. Our, the present uh, 
uh, circumstances that we find ourselves in with COVID proves that we always have laws in place to protect the vulnerable already. You may feel fine or want to go to the store or talk to a neighbor, but as soon as you put your body, other people at risk because of you decide what you choose, my body, my choice, I can do whatever I want with it, but then I go sneeze on somebody and I might have COVID, that's actually illegal. That's assault, right? Um, Because we need to protect the vulnerable. And this is the same thing with abortion. In New York, the governor, Governor Cuomo of New York, they passed a bill for abortion to be legal all the way up into the time of birth. And we're going to go through first, second, and third trimester of all these, uh, how abortion is done because this is actually happens. And, uh, and they lit up the World Trade Centers in a celebration of the passing of this bill and the thought of my body, my choice, and women's rights are human rights. But then people will get upset when, uh, and even he, he was like so mad when people were not taking precautions during COVID because he's like, people like my mom who are vulnerable, older people who could die from this, we need to protect them. So we actually care about people's lives and families that could be killed indirectly through something, but then we don't care because uh, when the the most vulnerable are not even uh, perhaps going to have a chance of getting um, sick, but this is actually a direct murder. It doesn't make sense. The principles are completely gone, and New York is one of the highest abortion cities, and we're going to go through this later, but there are more black babies aborted in New York than are born in New York. So, And when we're going to talk about that when we get into to the topic of racism and the systematic racism that exists in the abortion industry. But let's now go through, and this is going to be extremely graphic, but um, so I would highly recommend if you have any children, you turn this off and listen to it another time, especially uh, probably this whole episode, but especially now. Um, I'm going to have links in there from Dr. Anthony Leventino. He performed over 1,200 abortions and he became pro-life after piecing together a baby one day after an abortion and saw the face of a baby and saw uh, someone's child. Um, and so he has these videos of how abortion is done and he goes into more detail. And obviously, uh, I'm kind of lifting all, all the stuff from, I, I don't know how it's done other than from people who have done it. So, so this is from the video that I'll be posting, but you can listen to, so you can listen to it more there, but we're going to go through it right now. So the very first trimester, again, this is from, uh, the moment of pregnant pregnancy up until uh, typically 12 to 13 weeks. So there's two different ways for abortions to happen. One of them is the abortion pills. It's called RU46. And the second one is suction, DNC, dilatation, and, and curatage. So the first one is the most common, RU46, abortion pills. And this is typically happens up to 10 weeks of pregnancy. So in the first two and a half months of pregnancy, people typically would prescribe RU46. Abortion industry loves this one because the people don't even have to do it within the abortion facility. And especially during COVID, they're pushing for tele-abortions now so they can just send you the abortion pill. There's no liability on their side because you're out of their facility and they can do it um, at, at home. But this is what RU46 is. So there's two steps to it. The woman will take pills, which contains uh, mifepristone, which is which is called RU46. And this specifically, this pill blocks progesterone that is naturally produced in the mother's body to stabilize the lining of the uterus. The RU46 blocks progesterone, which causes the lining of the uterus to break down. This cuts off blood and nourishment to the baby, which then causes the baby to die inside its mother's womb. And again, this is up until 10 weeks. And we already know from what we just went through uh, by this time, 
this baby would have a heartbeat going and uh, fingers and toes starting to form and eyes starting to form. Their brain is uh, starting to be formed. Um, so this part, after taking the pill, it can be reversed by uh, injecting progesterone if it's administered quickly enough. But after RU46, then 24 to 48 hours later, the woman then takes mis uh, what's a, another pill called the misopristol, and this is actually taken orally or vaginally. And the combination between the misopristol and RU46 together causes severe and violent uh, cramping, contractions, and often heavy bleeding to force the dead baby out of the mother's uterus. So this is extremely painful. It's intense contractions and bleeding that happens from a few hours up to several days. And how this is done is the baby could be passed at any time, but typically the person, the mother is sitting on a toilet to expel the baby and it flushes down. And at this point, to nine weeks at pregnancy, the baby is almost an inch long. So oftentimes a mother can see the baby in the, uh, in the pregnancy sack in the toilet. And even after passing, the, there's spotting and bleeding from on average nine to 16 days. 8% of women, one in 12 women, are, uh, have experienced bleeding more than 30 days. And 1% requires hospitalization because of bleeding. If the failure occurs from this abort from the abortion pill, then they will have a surgical abortion, which means even more money for the abortion uh, uh, provider. And this causes abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, headache, heavy bleeding, and even death because of infection, oftentimes for the mother. And we're going to talk about later on too how each one of these uh, causes infertility issues in the future. Um, and then the second way that a first trimester abortion is done, typically between five and thirteen weeks, is called is known as suction DNC. DNC stands for dilatation and curatage. So this is done five to thirteen weeks. They, the doc, the abortionist will uh, administer anesthesia, and then they will use a cool a tool called speculum, a speculum that opens up the vagina. The abortion uses metal rods called dilators, and they have they thicken and wideness, and they insert them into the cervix. And the cervix is what is uh, protecting the baby during the full pregnancy until the baby is ready to uh, be born. And the cervix is then dilated with the, these dilators to gain access to the uterus where the baby resides. Then the abortionist takes a suction catheter. Then this suction is this like a clear plastic tube. And, this, and at this point, um, the baby is, the bones are still pretty soft and it's, um, and again, it's like an inch and it's about an inch long. So this baby, uh, then the, the suction catheter is turned on and this suction is so powerful. It's 10 to 20 times more powerful than, than a vacuum cleaner at your home. The baby, because of the force of the suction is rapidly torn apart. So the baby is literally torn apart by, by limb, by, by, uh, the, torso and the head and squeezed into this tube. The uterus is mostly emptied at this point. However, one of the risks of this abortion, DNC, is an incomplete abortion, meaning that there are pieces of the baby that are left behind that leads to infection and bleeding for the mother. The abortionist then, just to make sure that the baby is gone from the, uter- from the, uh, from the womb, the abortionist takes what is called a uh, curette, 
which is basically a long handled curved blade to scrape the lining of the uterus to grab anything that's left over. So obviously from that scraping, and you're going to hear from the second and third trimester as well, as in addition to this uh, suction DNC first trimester abortion, is that the risk is perforation and laceration to the uterus and cervix for the mother, damage to the intestines, bladder, blood vessels, hemorrhaging, infection, even death. And this has caused, causes even a greater risk of future pregnancy by uh, premature delivery due to this abortion-related trauma and injury to the cervix. That is the first trimester. Second trimester is what is performed uh, between 13 and 24 weeks is the dilatation and evacuation, the DNE procedure, DNE abortion. And this, um, again, 13 to 24 weeks. And a reminder, babies have survived all the way down to 22 weeks and they're viable after 24 weeks. So viable meaning that they can survive on their own, on their own if they were to be born prematurely. So uh, what happens is the abortionist will take a weighted speculum to open the vagina widely because at this point the baby is too large then to just fit easily through the cervix. So the, um, there has to be a lighter, uh, wider opening. The baby is too large, so the cervix uh, has to be prepared 24 hours before um, the abortion actually takes place. So they actually put what is called like it's seaweed laminara that consumes liquids and expands upon uh, consuming liquid. So then it, it dilates the cervix. So the dilators then are, so then further dilators are used when the the procedure is ready to go. The dilators are used to open up the cervix. 20 weeks gestation um, for a baby. So 20 weeks, just to give you a size, the head to its butt are as big, a, big of a hand, not including the feet, not including the legs. So about as big as a hand. So a suction catheter is inserted and turned on, and there will be pale yellow amniotic fluid surrounding the baby that is suctioned out through the catheter. The baby is too large and the bones are too strong and hard at this point to be to fit together through a catheter, um, and it can't be torn apart because the bones are too, so, are too hard at this point. Then they take what is called a soffer clamp and they grab the, and it's like, it has like teeth on, on these clamps and the abortionist will reach into the mother's womb and clamp the baby. And oftentimes it's blind. So they will feel for things and grab and they pull extremely hard so that it uh, pulls off parts of the baby. And they start with arm, leg, uh, the limb, and then uh, until everything is removed. Usually the most difficult part is removing the head because it's the largest part of the body and it's the large of a size plum at 20 weeks. The head is grasped and he's, he even explains how he, you know when it's the head because it's uh, how wide your hands have to go in order to uh, on this uh, tool. And the head is grasped and then it's crushed. So they squeeze down on this thing and crush it. And you know that it was the head and it's crushed when white substance, the brain, the baby's brains, comes out of the mother's cervix. The abortionist then removes the skull pieces, the placenta, and leftover parts of the baby uh, along with the, with the curette, again, scraping that, the line of the uterus to make sure everything is out. And they reassemble the baby to make sure that all the parts are accounted for, the limb, the, the two arms, the two legs, the head, and all the pieces of the skull. The risk for the woman, again, is the same as it has major complications and a very, very high significant risk of future major complications such as perforation of the uterus, uh, cervical um, laceration, infection, hemorrhage, and even death. 
future pregnancies, again, are at a greater risk of loss due to premature delivery from abortion related to the uh, abortion related trauma and injury to the cervix. That is the second trimester. After 24 weeks. So 25 weeks to term is what is considered the third trimester. And this is done by two ways. Only one Dr. Anthony Leventino talks about the one that he talks about is called injection and stillbirth. And another way that is done, we'll get to afterwards. Um, but this is done 25 weeks to term. So, and this is the baby is viable and fully developed viable, meaning it could survive on its own. This injection and stillbirth takes three to four days to complete typically. To begin this procedure, the abortionist takes a pretty large needle and fills it with a drug called digoxin. Digoxin is generally used to treat heart problems, but given in really high doses, it causes fatal cardiac arrest. So it inserts, the, the abortionist doctor will insert the needle either through the stomach or through the mother's cervix, and it targets the baby's head, torso, or heart. The needle pierces the baby, and when digoxin is administered, the baby's life comes to an end due to cardiac arrest. And at this point, uh, the 25 weeks through, the baby feels pain, and they actually like they kind of leap to any feeling of being poked or whatever. So it feels pain, um, and then. The abortionist then sticks uh, that laminara that we talked about earlier, so that seaweed, into the cervix to slowly begin opening up for delivery. So the woman actually waits for this to happen until the cervix is dilated for delivery. So the mother will carry the dead baby for two to three days. And on day two, the they will return, and the abortionist typically replaces the seaweed, the laminara, um, and looks at an ultrasound to make sure that the baby is dead. If the baby is alive, then it gives more digoxin. As the um, and then once the cervix is dilated and uh, the mother is uh, ready to give birth, then a lot of times it's severe contractions and it happens at home. So they're alone when this happens, delivering a dead baby. Or if they make it to the hospital, it's typically during their most severe time of contraction and they deliver the, de the dead baby. If the baby is not whole, then they further have to do a DNA abortion that we talked about early, earlier, which is the, um, the use of uh, the clamps that pull out parts of the baby. And lastly, there is a, another way to do a third trimester abortion. And unfortunately, this has happened, and it's called a partial birth abortion, and it's even uh, gotten some way in um, state legislature. But a partial birth abortion is a, another way to abort a child that has not been given uh, digoxin or any other thing for it um, to ultimately die. So what they do is they the because the baby when it's ready to be born that its body will be positioned in a place that's head down. So what the doctor will do will flip the baby within the womb so that its feet comes out first. And this is actually really dangerous and it does a lot of damage to the interior parts of the mother and causes again uh, fertility issues in the future. Um, and so they turn the the baby around, they twist it and turn it so that the feet come out first and they pull the baby out by its feet and they go all the way until they can expose the neck of the baby while the head is still within the mother. And again, the baby is alive at this point. And then they tap into the baby's spinal cord and suck the brains out of its head. And that is what a partial birth abortion is. So that is how abortion is done. 
That is what happens in abortion. And it kind of lets it speak for itself because after all that, I'm sure a lot of us are kind of speechless. And um, and I hate for this to be the channel for which we hear about how these things are done, but this is reality. This is literally what abortion is. That is how it's done. This is the thing that is legal in our country and is the leading cause of death. And a lot of people don't even understand what happens even when they go in for an abortion. They do it because out of so many reasons, but they're typically from pressure from other people and they're scared and they're afraid and the abortionist wants to uh, calm them uh, down. Um, And uh, I highly recommend the movie Unplanned and it's from Abby Johnson. She was a director of a Planned Parenthood. She was part of uh, thousands of abortions and she exposes the whole Planned Parenthood. Afterwards, she um, uh, left Planned Parenthood. She became a, she converted to Catholicism. She's huge in the pro-life movement. And she had an uh, abortion, abortion or abortions herself. And one of them was the RU46 abortion pill. And the she thought she was literally going to die in her room by herself from the amount of blood loss that she had from trying to pass the baby. And she went back to the doctors, who the abortion clinic, and was actually extremely mad because she was like, I, no one told me that this was supposed to happen. And they were just like, well, it did happen, and you knew the risks involved, and this is what it is. Um, but I highly recommend that and exposes all the parties involved and how this is for uh, big money. And this is why the abortion providers are so big in it.